So hear now the word of the Lord from Genesis chapter 4, verses 17 through 26. Cain was intimate with his wife, and she conceived and gave birth to Enoch. Then Cain became the builder of a city, and he named the city Enoch after his son. Irad was born to Enoch, and Irad fathered Mahujael. Mahujael fathered Methuselah, and Methuselah fathered Lamech. Lamech took two wives for himself, one named Ada and the other named Zilah. Ada bore Jabal. He was the first of the nomadic herdsmen. His brother was named Jubal, and he was the first of all who play the lyre and the flute. Zilah bore Tubal-Cain, who made all kinds of bronze and iron tools. Tubal-Cain's sister was Namah. Lamech said to his wives, Adah and Zilah, hear my voice. Wives of Lamech, pay attention to my words. For I killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain is to be avenged seven times over, then for Lamech it will be seventy-seven times. Adam was intimate with his wife again, and she gave birth to a son named Seth. For she said, God has given me another offspring in place of Abel, since Cain killed him. A son was born to Seth also, and he named him Enosh. At that time, people began to call on the name of the Lord. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, you may be wondering, I don't remember that being in the Gospel of Mark, um, and you would be correct, right? We are taking a break from our reading, and instead we will be hearing from Pastor Eric Kapoor from Trinity over in Orange County. So if you were with us on Ash Wednesday, you would have seen him there. Eric was born in Chicago, Illinois, uh, but grew up in Jacksonville, Florida, which technically makes you a Florida man then. So... After moving, uh, excuse me, his dad was born in India and his mom was raised in the Midwest. And after moving to Southern California right out of college to pursue his wife, Amelia, he went to seminary in Orlando, Florida, the Reformed Theological Seminary. And the Kapoors have four boys, ages 18, 17, 14, and 11. Now, before working, being called to Trinity, he's been the pastor there for about seven years, um, Eric spent the previous 10 years serving as a pastor of spiritual formation at Redeemer Presbyterian Church in San Diego. And so we are delighted to have Eric with us this morning. Jeff is over in Trinity, actually in Orange. And so this is kind of like a weird reality TV show, Pastor Swap. Um, but hopefully it won't be as weird as that. Um, so I think I'm delighted to welcome Eric to the stage. So please give Pastor Eric a warm welcome. Good morning, everybody. Thank you, Lewis. Thank you for that intro. I didn't know I'd be called a Florida man. I like to say that I think I've lived here long enough in California to earn the title California man? I don't know. I don't know who gives those titles away. But it is a joy for me to be here. It's a real privilege. Uh, My heart is full. Um, Thank you, Lewis, for leading us in worship and the worship team. It's, uh, yeah, it's really good to worship with all of you. And uh, yeah, uh, Lewis kind of stole the joke there. Uh, I was going to say Jeff and I are starting a new reality TV show. Yeah, Pulpit Swap, that's what he called it. But uh, earlier this week, uh, my wife, Amelia, and I and Jeff and Helen uh, were able to participate in 
an annual thing for our presbytery, the region of churches we're a part of. Uh, it's a pastors and wives retreat. Uh, so that's kind of where the idea came about, like, hey, uh, we'll be together for a couple days, a couple days lost in sermon prep, ministry, et cetera. Why don't we, why don't we, uh, why don't we swap? But that also uh, allows us to partner together as sister churches uh, in our presbyteries. So really good to be here. So we read this um, passage here from Genesis chapter four. So four chapters into the Bible itself at the very beginning of the Bible. Uh, this passage is a part of what I call the prologue of the Bible. It's kind of the story before the rest of the story. And you have to have this story, this prologue, this context, because it sets the foundation and the trajectory for everything that comes after. Uh, but you, you know, you, we read this together, and it's one of those passage, passages in the Bible that I, maybe most of you, tend to read and go, okay, breezing right by that. That's interesting. It's kind of a genealogy, a bunch of old names, and that sort of thing. We might have our questions about it, like where did Cain get a wife? Uh, maybe I'll talk about that in a little bit. Um, but once we kind of think about that, we move on to what's next. It's a, a lot like a, a lot of other genealogies in the Bible where we wonder, why is this here? I have all kinds of issues and things happening in my life. Like, why would God use the ink of the Bible for something like this? What are we supposed to get out of this? Well, to understand what this passage has for us, I have to remember the context here, and I hope to uh, paint a picture of the context real quickly here. This passage picks up the story right after Cain, so it starts with, with Cain, and if you know the story of Cain and his brother Abel, it's not a very happy story, it's not a good story, it's Cain, it ends with Cain killing his brother Abel. So at this point in the Bible story, there are three people in the world, Adam and Eve, the parents, you can kind of think about what they're feeling, they're in grief, they're in shock, they're wondering, what is going to happen next with the world, with the human race? And then you have Cain. After he kills his brother Abel, God says to Cain, the ground itself, Cain, will begin to work against you because of what you've done. You see, Cain has no remorse. He has no repentance over what he's done. And, and God says, the earth itself is going to work against you, and you are going to be a restless wanderer on the earth. So Cain is, is just moving further away from God and God's purposes for humanity. He lives in this place. We didn't get to read it. It's in the verse right before that uh, where we began. Verse 16, it says, you're going to live in the land, the land of Nod, which translates the land of wandering. So at this point, that's where we are in the Bible story. We are wondering what is going to happen with the human race that God created. The answer is given to us in this passage. The human race, the human family, is going to be divided into two. You have the line of Cain, which is the first part, the longer part of this passage, and then you have the line of Seth. And what we have here in this passage is the dividing line that separates humanity into two groups or two families or two fundamentally different ways to approach life. Two fundamentally different ways of living life. That ultimately, this passage calls us to choose from. Which one? 
family one or two. If you like to take notes and write things down in, um, in your bulletin, uh, I encourage you to write a line here that's like four, li- or four from the bottom where it says Adam was intimate with his wife. That's the dividing line between the line of Cain and we see the line of Adam and Seth. And so before we get to this passage, I'd like to ask all of you, including the third and fifth graders, everyone, take a look at the passage again in the bulletin. The first part, the larger part, we'll call that Team Cain. Everything before the word Adam there. The second part is Team Seth. So at this point, as you look at that, which team do you want to be on? And hold on, don't answer too quick, because we might all feel like, I think I know what the right answer is, but hold on, look, did you see what Team Kane has? They have the music. They have the lyre and the flute. They have the city life. They built a city. They have the herdsmen. So they have the burgers. They have In-N-Out with (laughs) Kane. And they have the technology. They have the tech, the latest tech, the bronze and the iron Tools. Team Seth, it doesn't say Team Seth has very much, does it? They called on the name of the Lord. So maybe you can think about or write down your choice, Cain or Seth. Let's dig a little bit deeper into the passage. And at the end, you can answer the question again. Maybe, I hope, uh, my goal is with a fuller understanding of what it means to be on Team Cain or Team Seth. So first, let's look at the strong if you look at Cain's family line here, if I were to put a label on his family, on his, uh, his, his, line, his family line here, it would be Team Strong. Cain is the head of Team Strong. I kept asking uh, Gracie if I could show pictures, and she said, it doesn't work because of the whole thing over here, but if you could picture this, I, I showed this picture, the logo of Team Cain. Uh, just think of like a bulldog, a nasty bulldog looking mean. He's got a, one of those collars with spikes on it, and it says Team Strong. So you can have that picture in your mind. After we learn of what Cain did and the consequence of his murder in the first part of chapter 4, we wonder what's going to happen with this guy. And verse 17 tells us he rebels against his sentence from God of living as a restless wanderer. Instead, he settles down, he gets married, and he builds a city. And seemingly to rub it in to God, he names and dedicates his city to his son, Enoch. The the name Enoch means dedicate. No, I'm not going to be a restless wanderer. I'm going to make a city, and I'm going to dedicate it, and I'm going to name it Enoch after my son. Right? As if to say, though I'm living in hiding from the presence of the Lord, though he has sent me away, I can build a lasting place for me and my family without you. That is a pretty strong flex to God Almighty. Okay, Cain's wife, we are not told where Cain's wife comes from. Was she a daughter of Adam and Eve? Possibly. Should we allow for the the possibility of other human beings uh, living, not descended from Adam and Eve? That's a larger question. I probably shouldn't have even brought it up, but I'm not going to be able to get into that. But Cain, as the text tells us, he did find a wife, and they started a family. Now look at, look at this family history, this line. It's quite a testament to human strength. First of all, Cain works against God. He says, yeah, you said that's going to happen to me, but no. He works against the ground that is working against him. And somehow, Cain establishes himself. This is pretty impressive. 
as we look at his line, we see his strength being passed along. They are the first to develop all these major components of human culture. Politics. At this time, cities, they were about fortification and security. Keep everyone in safe and keep everyone out that we don't want to get in. So cities were about relying on human strength for protection against other humans. It brings increased safety for the people inside, but also, when you do that, it it brings an increased sense of fear. There's a threat out there. There's distrust, which is far from what God intended for us as human beings. So we have the beginning of politics. We have the beginnings of silence, or of, of science, I should say, with Jabal, the nomadic herdsman. It says that he was beginning to understand how to tame the natural world for human benefit, and that's where there was herds for meat and for milk. And we have the beginning of arts, Jubal, the first of all to play the lyre, which was like a guitar and the flute. So string and wind instruments, and we have arts developing. And then we see technology in verse 22. Tubal Cain making tools of bronze and iron. Humans taking the raw material of the world and making tools in order to make life easier in a very hard and broken world. So as we see this story being told to us, we see culture advancing. We see strength. And that seems okay, right? But... At the same time, as we see culture advancing, we also see violence and sin advancing. Look at where it says Lamech. He's the seventh in the line, right there in the middle. So he has two wives, which is not God's intention from the beginning, if we go back to Genesis 1 and 2. Already a good gift that God has given to us is being corrupted and misused. And he takes the art of poetry and song... And he makes a song of violence and pride and control. And if you count it up, Lamech is the seventh in the line of Cain. Seven is a very important number in the Bible. It's kind of a number of representation and completion. So Lamech is kind of the descendant that is the complete representation of the line of Cain. And he has this song. He has this poem. It's like the song of their team. And remember now, This was interesting when I was studying this and thinking about it. Cain is alive for this. Everybody's alive. They're all living to hear this song. And what does he say in his song? He says, if God avenges Cain seven times, which God said, I will protect you, Cain, even though you're you're being banished to wander. He said that. He says, Lamech will avenge 77 times. You think God is strong? Have you seen Lamech? And just, if you look at the song he's singing here, he says, Lamech says to his wives, right? Ada and Zillah, hear my voice, wives of Lamech. He's speaking of himself in the third person. And which of you husbands would sing a song like this? Right, if I said, hear me, wife of Eric, Amelia, that just wouldn't, that wouldn't result in anything good in my marriage or my life. So this guy is full of himself, he's full of pride, and he says, you think God is to be feared? Oh, fear Lamech and his strength. So what's happening here? Now, this isn't saying that all cultural developments, politics, art, science, etc., are bad or sinful. All of these things, cities and herds and instruments and music and tools and technology, they're all spoken positively in the Bible. We have art, 
in the temple uh, that God had the people of Israel create. Bronze and iron was used. We have music and the worship of God. We have cities of refuge that are places of protection, not violence. All these things can be done in a way that glorifies God and is good for others. But in Cain's line, we see all aspects of human culture tainted by sin, taking something good that God intended and twisting it in pride. And here's the point. They are all used by people to develop a life independent of God. Or said another way, they are all used to create a way of life based on trusting in human strength. This was the mindset. By gaining power and strength in the arts and technology and politics and science, we will protect ourselves. We will define ourselves. We will build our identity and place in this world. But what's obviously missing in the line of Cain is God. No mention of God. These are people being made in the image of God with incredible creativity, ability, and strength, all given to them by God. These gifts, using it all, all that strength God has given to build a life independent and without Him. All right, so Team Cain. Anybody want to be on Team Cain? I have to honestly admit, it draws me in. If something goes down out there in the world, Lamech is there. He will take care of business. He's got your back. Work is easier with tools. You can eat good food, enjoy good music, and look at your team's accomplishments and achievements. No one is going to mess with you on Team Cain. Okay? Now let's look at Team Seth. The last two verses. Adam was intimate with his wife again. She gave birth to his son and named him Seth, for she said, God has given me another offspring in place of Abel since Cain killed him. A son was born to Seth also. He named him Enosh. At that time, people began to call on the name of the Lord. If I were to give this team a name, it would be Team Weak. Why? Well, compared to Cain's line that we just read, it's it quite a contrast. There's no mention of cities here. There's no mention of politics or arts or science here. There's no song of strength that's being sung by this line. And just one descendant is mentioned, Enosh, there in chapter 4. Now the names in Scripture, especially here in this genealogy, are extremely significant for their meaning. Seth's name, it sounds like the Hebrew word for granted or set in place. And Eve is saying, God has given, God has granted another offspring, another child in place of really the two that I've lost. Abel has died and Cain is lost and wandering. This is a hint to what God said earlier in chapter 3.15 to Eve. When sin entered the world, he said to Eve, an offspring will come to you. In this offspring, the offspring of the woman will one day fight and defeat sin, evil, and death at its source. And so Eve is still holding out hope in God's promise. And then Abel's son is named Enosh. It can be translated, it's, uh, it occurs all throughout the Bible, it can be translated just man, generically, or, or humanity. 
but it's the word used for man most often in the context of human mortality and frailty. In other words, weakness. Man, humanity, and all our frailty and all of our need and weakness. One of the commentators says this about the name Enosh. He says, it's the consciousness of human frailty symbolized by the name Enosh that heightens man's awareness of utter dependence upon God, a situation that intuitively evokes prayer. So let's get the contrast. One line tries to use their strength to transcend their weakness and their frailty and the fact that they're limited human beings. They do it through boasting and violence and pridefully developing new technologies for their own glory and for their own good. The other line owns and admits their weakness and from a place of frailty and need call out to God. To call upon God. Can you think with me for a moment on what that means? To call upon God. It entails at least two things. When you call upon God, it means there is a sense of awe. There is a sense of I'm calling upon someone who's greater than me and stronger than me. There's a sense of awe. And there's also a sense of need. That there is this person, there is uh, this being that can come and meet me. In a place where I don't have the resources, I don't have the strength to face what I'm facing. And this is all that Team Seth has. Awe and need. And there we have the two lines that, that separate these two teams. Speaking to this contrast, uh, another commentator said, calling upon the name of the Lord, as great as all the other inventions of civilization are, this was greater by far. Now I want to ask you, friends, really? Is that true? Politics, arts, science, technology is calling upon the name of the Lord far greater than any of those other things. Do you believe this? Do I believe this? Would I really choose Team Seth? You know, think about it. I try to imagine in my mind, what would Enosh say to Lamech? If Lamech came to him and said, look what I've done. Look at my strength here. My family versus yours. We have technology and science and herds and arts and music and cities and military strength. And what do you have, Seth? What does your family have? Well, we call upon the name of the Lord. In our lives, when we're faced with fears and threats, the things that make us anxious, the things that cause us to lose sleep at night, when we wonder, what is my future going to be like? How will high school go? How will middle school go? Will I be able to get the grades? Will I be able to get into the college? Will my kids be able to get into the college? When circumstances in our lives bring trials and suffering and hardship, when we are afraid about our finance, financial situation, when people mistreat us, which team would you rather be on? 
I've been talking about this passage so far as two lines, right? These two families that we, the reader, we, the listener, have to choose from. And saying, you know, which line, Cain or Seth, which would you choose? And that is the application and challenge of this passage. But there is a higher and more direct meaning and reading of this passage that actually comes first before we can even answer and choose which team and line we want to be a part of. Before this passage is about our choice, this passage is about God's choice. As you're reading the narrative of Genesis, here at the very beginning of the Bible, the question is, which line, which family does God choose? Through which line will God accomplish his purposes, restore his blessing and his intentions to humanity that they might flourish? Where is that flourishing found? Where is that power found? The strong or the weak? And the answer in the text is very clear. It's the line of Seth that carries on God's purpose and God's intention for the world. We don't have it printed in the bulletin, but the next chapter over, chapter 5, 1 through 3, speaks further to the line of Seth. And there we see, as Seth and his family line is described, we see a repetition that they are made in the image of God to reflect and image him. It's in and through the weak that God's purpose for his image bearers is accomplished. Friends, this is God's pattern. It's how God always works, through the paradox of strength in weakness. Strength in calling out to him in need independence, when the odds seem so stacked against his people and us. Some stories you may remember, Israel versus Egypt, who was strong and who was weak. The story of Gideon and his small army versus the Midianite army, 300 versus thousands. David versus Goliath. Elijah versus 850 prophets. Daniel versus Nebuchadnezzar. And the author of Hebrews picks up on this theme in the New Testament and he says, What more can I say about all these heroes of the faith? Time is too short for me to tell about Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and David and Samuel and the prophets who by faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the raging of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, gained strength in weakness, became mighty in battle and put foreign armies to flight. All the heroes found strength and weakness. When we were singing the song, Hymn of Heaven, I was thinking of this, that I was going to share this passage with you. And he said, we get to see all the heroes of the faith when it's all said and done. And in my mind, I was thinking, what, are, what would they tell us? What would they say? Would they have a song of boasting in their own triumph, like Lamech? Oh, you barely made it here. I didn't know you were going to be here. Oh, interesting. But I got here. <laughs> no. They will have a song of strength in weakness for the glory of God and his strength that they called upon his name and he was faithful. But friends, I I know for myself, I want to know, how do I know that this pattern will continue for me 
when we are looking for security, when we have our fears and anxieties. The world is not an easy place. It's a broken place. People are not always kind, not always easy to deal with or safe to deal with. How can we trust the way of strength in weakness? Here's the way. (laughs) The greatest hero of the faith, Jesus Christ, fix your eyes on him, in whom this pattern is seen most clearly. You look at the life of Jesus, you'll see, you've been studying this in the Gospel of Mark, he always chooses weakness. He could have chosen fame and power and control. He could have come in vengeance with the full force of his divine almighty strength, but he came in weakness. A baby in a manger, experiencing life, we say, as a human being, as an Enosh, frail, dependent, and weak. He came as a servant, as a slave of all, and in what seemed like the most foolish, the most ridiculous, the most weak choice he could ever make to choose to submit to death on a cross. There we find the world's greatest power and strength. Which team, the strong or the weak, does God choose? The Apostle Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 1, God has chosen what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God has chosen what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God has chosen what is insignificant and despised in the world, what is viewed as nothing, to bring to nothing what is viewed as something, so that no one may boast in his presence. It is from him that you are in Christ Jesus, who became wisdom from God for us, our righteousness, sanctification, and redemption in order that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boasts in the Lord. The strong. Friends here in Irvine, Orange County, Tustin, that's where I live, we are filled with very strong people. Your achievements, your accomplishments, your perseverance, your tenacity are amazing. 1 Corinthians, Paul saying, the strong They don't want to be needy. They want to say, I did it. It is from me. The Apostle Paul tells us the power of the gospel is not unleashed there. It is unleashed when we say, all I need is my need. And there I find strength. And I say, I didn't do it. It is all from him. So in closing, I'd like to ask you a few questions. How might you be resisting your weakness and your vulnerability and your need? How might you be choosing to ally yourself with Team Strong if the song of your heart is really all about you and your accomplishments and what you hope to do in your strength in your power, friends, you are in a dangerous place. Pray the Lord would break you of your pride and humble you to call upon his name. But maybe you're in a place where you feel like, I can't deny my weakness anymore. I've tried to be strong. I can't do it. That's a great place to be. But I would ask you, what are you doing with your weakness, vulnerability, and need? Join Team Week. 
Call upon the name of the Lord, and the Lord Jesus will meet you with his strength. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it's a a very fearful prayer to pray for those of us who feel like we can be strong enough to build a life where we really are living independent of you, where you are an aspect or a part or a piece of our life, but really we trust in ourselves. And I pray in your mercy in your strong mercy that you would break us in our hearts of all the places where we are really about our own strength and that you would humble us. And I pray for all those here in this room who are at a place where they're ready to say, I am weak, I am needy, I'm ready to call out from this place of need. Father, we thank you that you always prove yourself faithful to the one who comes to you with their need, with their brokenness, calling upon you. And even this morning, I pray that you would pour out your grace, your power, and your comfort to all who call upon you in their weakness. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.